Hey, it's Ben here. And in addition to this podcast, I also teach Microsoft Excel online. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access to the course. Stay tuned after the episode for a little bit more information as to why it's so important to improve your Excel skills and unlock your inner Excel ninja. Thanks. Even though this month is quickly wrapping up, October is ADHD Awareness Month. Now you might be asking, why do we need to raise awareness about ADHD? I'm going to paraphrase some lovely tidbits from Ari on Instagram, who can be found as the underscore ADHD underscore entrepreneur. Throughout the media and across the internet, misinformation and misunderstanding of ADHD runs wild. Some common misconceptions about ADHD include that ADHD people are simply lazy, that only children, especially young hyperactive males, have ADHD, even plenty of people who think that it does not exist or was invented by Big Pharma to make money. The problem with the stigma is that it affects how ADHD is perceived by others or even how those with ADHD see themselves. This judgment can have other effects including carrying guilt and shame, actively avoiding medication, being missed for diagnosis, not getting the right treatment, discrimination from employers or education, and even just the impact to emotional well-being. Now I want to provide a trigger warning for the next piece of info as it relates to suicide. Feel free to avoid if this subject is too difficult for you. Those with ADHD are five times more likely to attempt suicide, with that number being even higher for women. ADHD Awareness Month is important because it encourages the sharing of correct and potentially life-saving information. I hope my guests this month, who mostly are in some way affected with or helping others with ADHD, can give a glimpse into what it's like to live with ADHD. For these specific episodes with Dave O'Dwyer, I also wanted to give a couple additional trigger warnings and let you know that I'm splitting the episode into two parts due to the length. Feel free to skip these episodes if any of the following triggers are potentially too difficult to listen for you. These episodes contain some discussion of sexual assault, addiction, substance abuse, suicidal thoughts, and self-harm. Thanks for listening to this extra long intro, and now on to the show. Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Correct me if I'm wrong, so at least it seems like we shared similar upbringings in the sense of Irish Catholic potentially um, bend with stuff your feelings down, don't talk about them kind of thing, maybe in confession, but not even the real ones, just the ones that you can deal with telling someone about. <laughs> so for the longest time, I didn't think I even knew how to address my own feelings or, or understand what I was feeling inside. So a lot of times those can'ts that I was saying to myself, like, I can't do this. It's more like I didn't want to face the fact that I'd probably not get it right the first time. So even when I figured out how plumbing works and by figured it out, I mean, just thought, okay, gravity, water being <laughs> released and then going down. Like for the longest time, I just thought it was magic basically that happened when it came to indoor plumbing. So like things like that, it's like, it's not difficult to learn. It's just, I thought it was beyond my uh, capacity because it was too defined in one of those genres of like being manly. And I wasn't going to ever work out. So I was like, well, you know, if I'm not going to be muscular or whatever, I can't do some of these 
muscular manly guy things, but really it's just, I think a lot of it was because my stepdad, when I was growing up part of the year, he would do hot tar roofing. So during the summer, but then during the winter, he would do plowing. So I'd see him work all day, all the time. And he'd come home exhausted. And what he taught me when I was growing up is you can either pay now and do all the schooling and then play later, or you can play now, which is what he did back in the day and didn't get do good in school and then pay later. And when you pay later, you, you limit your options quite a lot. And so what you can do to actually, you know, get that kind of money. And that's stuck, that stood out to me because I saw him live that life on the daily basis. So I was like, well, I'm never gonna, I'm not going to do the play now. Well, I'll do, I'll dabble in playing now, but I want to make sure I do all the right things to set me up so that I can play later. Once I graduated high school and then went into college. So I went to an all guys Catholic high school and where at the time they wouldn't allow uh, another guy to take another guy to the prom because it was, we weren't there yet. (laughs) Now that would be a big story, but back then it was, it was pretty par for the course in terms of how a Catholic school for all guys would, you know, react to that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it's funny because my Catholic high school, I went to John F. Kennedy and um, so a kid who was in a grade below me, this guy, Paul Danforth, um, he didn't become a teacher there. Um, turns out he, he's gay and he wanted to get married. And there was another teacher there that was also a lesbian who was wanting to get married. And when the school found out, they fired, they've relocated them, fired them. And so yeah. my class, their class, like basically we've kind of like, it was supposed to be my 20, my 30th uh, or the 20 year high school reunion this year. But it was basically a boycott, but everyone in our class, because it's like, look, like, seriously, like, let's do like, that's a whole nother issue that could be like, all right, like, yeah, you want us to celebrate you all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want us to celebrate you. And also the whole idea, what I just find annoying particularly for anyone who follows a guy named Jesus who says, love people that you're not supposed to judge others. There's a judge out in the sky who's doing all the judgment. Uh-huh. So what gives you the fucking right to judge anyone else? What, we're, yeah. like, who, who, who ordained you to judge? You know, like we're all have, we're all, we're all human beings with our own flaws, our own unique story. So I'm not going to try to judge or bring anyone down for what they want to do or what they believe. Even if I disagree with it, that's yeah. okay. There's a lot of people I disagree with, but you know what? Does it? It's my responsibility to to love them, whether or not they they love me back. I don't care because that's I, I have no control over them. I have no control of what you think of me, Ben. You'd be like, this guy's a complete crazy crazy man, <laughs> but you know what? I have no control over that. I, I recognize through a lot of my own work is that the only thing I can control is inside my hula hoop. Yeah, and that's my thoughts, reactions, and actions. Everything else, I have absolutely no control over it. Because as soon as I start to control you, it goes right down the hill. Yeah. It's interesting because, like you said, um, Jesus would be the turn the other cheek kind of guy. And us, at least in the U.S. as a country, we seem to be running out of cheeks just to slap. <laughs> so we're, we're double dipping on, on old cheeks Whatever this metaphor takes you to, my point is we we don't know how to stop. Yeah, I was gonna say, well, you know, I have my OnlyFans, but that's a whole. <laughs> Those are different cheeks, I think. Yeah, and yeah, it's interesting how how much we've we've come to not view each other as people deserving of the same kind of treatment that we would want. And I'm sure it's easier for people like me and you if you're if you're born in the United States and you are a white man, you just happen to be like the one who gets least persecuted 
and all the presidents are mostly of your variety. Like we're just happen to luck into the fact that we get treated differently. Yeah. These are, it's, it's our cards, right? Like this is, this is when, like, I don't know if you've had any of these conversations, especially in like in the ADHD clubhouse rooms, uh, like, uh, Oh, like ADHD is a superpower. It's a disability. And you know, I'm like, you know, I take a neutral stance on it. It is a card you're dealt. It is a card like anyone else that had been dealt a certain, certain amount of cards with gifts, talents from where you ended up, where you got born into the world, what happened to your life. You've been dealt these cards. You can sit there and whinge about, oh my God, I have this card or I have this card or this is my thing. That's my thing. But what you ultimately do with that is up on you because mm-hmm. there are, you can look at many stories of any people who have come up through, through the use of their their disabilities to turn them into an ability to use their disadvantage to turn into an advantage. Yeah. You may be behind the eight ball in one aspect, but you could be above on someone else's aspect. You know, if you're only looking in the, it's this apples and oranges comparison. If I'm only looking at this thing of like, he's got a shiny apple, I've got a green apple, his apple, like, but you know, it's actually an orange, you know, it's something completely different. We're trying to compare. We play these comparison games constantly. And I'm kind of glad I got out of the U.S. when I did a little bit. I think I will eventually come back. But like it's it is kind of we're we're playing this comparison game of instead of what's the best for everybody, like where's your community, where's your involvement and coming back into masculinity about it is that I, I, I feel I'm not sure about you, but like as a man, as I get older, that group of friends and brotherhood and structure gets smaller and smaller and smaller if I didn't have a job, particularly in my 20s, whoever my friends were was whatever restaurant I was working at. And once I left that restaurant, I made stay in contact with one or two people, mostly just for the job contacts. But as actual friends goes, like, okay, nope, all right, I move into a new set of friends here, move into a new set of friends here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I find it find it fascinating of like, where this is what one of the kind of, as I look at my core principle, what I want to do is I do want to bring that brotherhood back the thing that i got from from the scouts that i got from working to kitchens there's that sense of community right and finding that in where whatever kind of group and it's just identifying as a man because i can find that as identified as an alcoholic or as an addict or as uh you know as this or as that you know we're just creating a, a label to allow us to easier easily associate so we can come together to recognize shared experience because our experiences it can't be like Overall, we're all still human, right? We still breathe. I hope so. I hope we all breathe. I'll get off my soapbox now. I mean, meaning uh, yeah. that's an assumption I take for granted. But I think my problem was so similar to you. I think we were not very confident in, you know, let's say most of our life up to our teens in terms of being cool or being uh, accepted socially. And so I went to going to an all guys Catholic high school was pretty good because you didn't need to care about if you showered that day or not as much as you would have, if there was, you know, women around. But when I got to college and I joined a fraternity and that went from having no experience with alcohol to like getting a master's degree in, in alcoholism uh, <laughs> was not the best way to approach it for sure. But it did give me that sense of brotherhood. And like you're talking about having a friend group and making it feel like it's not a chore to, to attain that uh, a lot of times it can be tough because I'd say I'm totally making this up and it could not be true. But my feeling is that uh, at least for people who grew up around my age or your age or somewhere in between, men weren't allowed to really 
contemplate whether or not they were gay. They wouldn't allow themselves to even think about that fact. And this is something I had told a friend before. And then when he came out as gay a few years later, he thought I was the only one who knew. And I was like, no, I was just high and I was rambling to you about whatever. But the point is, a lot of guys really just won't even say, okay, do I like women or do I like men? That question instantly in their mind, they bypass the question and they they decide with the the societally acceptable one. Nowadays, we're obviously getting a lot further along with it, but a lot of people really just were so against even thinking about it that it would not only come out as them being uh, trying to put on a braggadocious kind of vibe, but also exactly. not understanding the, the fact that it doesn't mean anything's wrong with you or bad about anything. It's just more like what you like and why wouldn't you want to know what you like? <laughs> it's that lack of acceptance, right? Yeah. Like it's it's wondering if to be honest about who you are and the feeling that the people closest to you won't accept you for who you are. And it's just, it's a sad feeling to feel that like, if your best friend, you tell your best friend, hey, I have this thing and they don't accept you, you're not going to talk to them anymore, right? Like if if I get vulnerable, right? Especially vulnerability and authenticity. Mm-hmm. If I get vulnerable about this is what I'm at, like the story I mentioned earlier, this is one that's taken me a long time about the bully and, and what happened. It's taken me a long time to get to a point to be able to talk about that because it's extremely vulnerable. Yeah, I've said this story a couple of times in meetings and other situations um, where it has been a help. I recognize I don't look at my I don't regret my past anymore, nor do I shut the door on it and like deny that it never happened. I recognize it becomes the greatest tool I can to help others, because once we can learn how to be open and vulnerable, you recognize that we start to peel it back. You know, as you know, like I had a different procession of Ben of like, all right, he must be this like kick-ass like podcaster dude, like, 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 you know, like this crazy person, like I created this persona, but as we've had this conversation and got to know each other, I feel like I can get open and vulnerable and honest because A, you're a great, you're a great interviewer to, for one. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. But it's also, we recognize these connections, right? There's a lot of connection points of like, you have those aha moments of like, yeah, I get that. I feel that way. And when you have that moment where you're like, aha, I can connect with you, you've created a human, genuine human connection. And I think it is something in this digital age that we miss as in the curated world of Instagrams and Facebooks. And uh, in that kind of media, we have to put out this projected image. And even as we grew up, right? Like, living in Ireland, there's still a lot of repression. There's still like, Mm -hmm. we don't talk about our family issues. We keep them in the family. We don't talk about anything because if anyone knew that we had issues, they would look down on us. No, here's the thing. It's like, the more I open up and tell about people, no one's actually looked down on me. Most of them are like, oh my God, let me help you. Like, oh my God, I'm going through that too. Well, how can I help you? Like it's Brene Brown um, uh, did this TED talk. I don't know if you've heard of her. but she did talk about vulnerability and like, it's like a sword in the arena, but you have to show up to be vulnerable, show up to, to show that it's okay to, to allow your emotions, to allow you to be you mm-hmm. and that some people won't accept you. And you're going to have to learn how to accept that. Some people are going to be like, nope, not for me, but those that will, they'll be like, come on here, buddy. You're in our tribe. You, we got your back. Yeah. And it's scary when you're out there alone. Because if you don't feel like you're, because we're herd mentality, right? Like we are, we are a tribal, like societal and culture, and we love our little tribes and our little groups. And if you're out there alone and you feel like you're alone, 
I've been there at that point. I've been to a point of uh, of where my depression has taken me to suicide attempts several times in my life, of feeling like I have no one or nothing, and I am worthless. Uh, yeah. That I'm worthless, or the world would be better without you, or whatever the thing is that you can convince yourself. Yeah, exactly. And then I realize, yeah, and usually what stops me is like, oh, but you know that you're being a dick because then what about your parents there? Because now then they're gonna have to take care of the body and do that. Come here, you're gonna make them cry, and you're a nice guy, and you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but you want to be able to disappear without anyone hurting. Like, yeah, you logic your way out of it. Yeah. But it, but it's but when you're when you're sitting there holding the knife in your hand or you've got the weak cord wrapped around your neck, it's like you, you kind of have to, you get to this point of like, OK, something has to give and you don't feel like there's like a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it's the people around you that the ones that you let into that circle, into that tribe that have your back the most. It's it's the family you create. It's the family that, that comes together around you, but you have to be open to it as well. If you're not open, this is why I think so many men do commit suicide. I think it's, they don't feel they have that, 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 that space. Yeah. They never get around to being able to share their feelings or really express how they feel to even those closest to them. But since I grew up in the Boston area, which is where there are a lot of Irish Catholics. I can have it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Talking about that. I know, I know a little bit about that Boston accent. I went to Providence, Rhode Island. I know it's a little bit different. Okay, but- nice. Yeah, yeah. I um I my favorite's uh Bar Harbor in Maine. Bahaba. It's like Bahaba. It's Bahaba. so it's so I think I avoided the Boston accent on purpose somehow because I didn't think it sounded that intelligent. Sorry, everyone from Boston. But you will realize if you move away from Boston, everyone wants you to sound like that. So you have an advantage if you leave Boston, just to heads up to anybody with Boston accents, because a lot of my family has strong accents. And I dated women who were like, I wanted Marky Mark's accent to be coming out of, out of your face, but I'm sorry, I don't want to sound like that or whatever it is. I don't think it was intentional, but going to a private school and stuff, I think I just thought, well, if I'm going to go down this route of being successful, whatever kind of person, I, I don't hear a lot of, uh, you know, CEOs with a Boston accent or whatever. So I think I just kind of navigated my way around it or just or dropped it. I, I hear from what I've been told, ages six to 16 is when you get your accent. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But so I don't think it would have been conscious in terms of avoiding it. But yeah, you don't realize. So you leave like what kind of things people are liking about your culture that you've, you know, grown so accustomed to that you're just like, oh, well, that's just something that I want to shed rather than have a part of me. Yeah. It's interesting about being an American living in Europe, right? Because, you know, in the U S you're like, I'm an Irish American and, you know, I come over to Ireland. I'm just an American, right? Yeah. They're like, you're not Irish. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no, you're not Irish. Like, yeah, I may have the passport and everything. That doesn't mean nothing. Like it is like, but I recognize the American culture. And I think, you know, we in the U.S. very much break down. Once again, going back to that tribal idea of like, I'm Irish American, Italian American, Samosan American, or Black American. Like we put this and then American. Mm-hmm. And I think we got it backwards. I think we're American first. We're American that has Irish ancestry, American that has um, Caribbean ancestry, that has this, this came from here. Because our Americanness comes through when you live in these other countries. Like the our, our tenacity, our positivity, our energetic, like we are an energetic people. Like we are a culture and we are like, I, I don't think we recognize that we're as much as the country is divided in ways. There are other ways that we are like, it is like when you go meet another American abroad, you're like, 
fuck yeah, America. Fuck yeah. <laughs> like, like, like you're like, all right. Like you have this bond and you're like, all right, we have, we have a shared experience. Yeah. And it might not even be healthy. It could be uh, like bragging at work that you got such little amount of sleep. Cause in America, you know, overworking is like a sign of you are doing the right thing. Like we don't always know what we're doing, but we do know that, you know, it's a competition and we want to be number one in some sense. And when, then we bring that to another country, they're like, you are not number one, or at least we've definitely fallen out of grace in terms of a lot of different things based on, you know, just how we've handled all sorts of different issues. And it's funny because it's, as you go to these other countries, it's, they, like, they have a very recognition of the person is one thing and the country's another. Like, I do get the question though of like, oh, so do you know Mike from Miami? I'm like, yeah, of course I know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no but it's like but like it's a very small country yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i know everybody but it's it's just one of these things where you start to recognize like you like become a represent like i definitely feel particularly when i was living in malta and um going around different parts of europe i definitely felt i was a representative of america like all right for a lot of these people this is the first american they're ever meeting so i want to give that impression but like you said there's the negative aspects too of where people would be like all right, we're going to take a break. I'm like, we're taking a break now? Like, oh, wait, what? Like, one of the biggest things I got from here is I worked a job. And when I left the job, I didn't take any of my holiday time that I'd accumulated. And apparently in Ireland, it's a law that they have to give you holiday time. And if you don't use it, you don't lose it. They pay you that money. Like you've earned that. So you actually, so I quit a job and I had like two weeks. So I got paid for like the two weeks that I was supposed to take off as I was just like, yeah, hey, I'll take the money from, cause working as a chef, if I want to go on holiday, if I want to go on vacation in America, I quit my job because there'd be like, because that was the best way to do it because there was no such thing as vacation time as a chef. Like chefs don't get vacation time. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. Oh, the only time you get time off is if you're in a hospital, you're hungover. Yeah. You still come into work. You're not feeling great. You suck it up, get back in there. Someone's got, someone needs their burger, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. The, the work ethic we strive to achieve with, you know, overworking ourselves, not getting enough vacation, not spending enough time figuring out who we are, but more like just getting ourselves caught up in all the regular problems of life without really stepping back and like assessing, well, how do we fit into this whole thing that's called America? And why are we arguing with each other so much? Yeah. And are you enjoying your life? Right? Like I, I think about this on the daily basis, right? The only moment you're alive is the moment and now. So are you enjoying your life? Like I, there's when I, my first job I had in Ireland six years ago, I was working crazy hours. And I was like two, like a month or two months into it. I was like, why am I doing this? I moved all the way over to Ireland to do the exact same thing I was doing in Seattle, working my ass off to not see anyone, not be the cult. No, like that's not. So I ended up like downgrading into a kind of a part-time job where I could actually spend more time, get out in the streets, go do the things I wanted to do. Like, cause my, I don't want my life to be like wrapped up in kitchens mm -hmm. fully. And this has been a hard kind of adjustment. And I've been grateful. And also that, that kind of fear of going into the unknown of moving into this next phase but it's a good phase. Like it's this recognizing, as I say, like I like to live my life by chapters mm -hmm. and, and, and things may not work out how I plan them to, but as I move on to this next chapter of my life, going into the coaching, I recognize the things that do stick with me are those core I ams, those core values of how I see myself. And now how I define myself as a man, a man who is mature, assertive, and nurturing. 
And uh, those are the value, the value sets that I try to live by. Um, I, I don't always succeed on a daily basis, but it's not about succeeding or like mastering or perfecting, but it's mm-hmm. the progress over perfection. It is the constant striving towards and working towards something that I believe in. And that brings me joy. And if it doesn't bring me joy, then why am I doing it? And if it doesn't have a significant reason enough, why I dump it, it's, I, I've had to be kind of harsh on it. Cause it's like, all right, if you're not bringing me the joy to this moment, I don't want to be regret my life 30 years, like work my ass off just to be in pain Yeah. later. Like, I mean, that's why. So originally with the failure thing, um, when I bought the license plate, I didn't have a plan for what that meant to me or anything. I just knew I had to get comfortable with failure because I, I couldn't take any self-improvement advice, but I could fail a lot. And they all said, you got to be comfortable with that. So I was like, okay, I can figure that out. If I wear that, I'm going to have to get over myself and also maybe gain some self-confidence. That that was like a byproduct. I didn't know what happened, but as everybody drives past you and judges you for having failure on your license plate and driving a Prius at the same time, you eventually after like the 500th person you go well i don't care anymore what these people think because i've already cared so many times and it didn't matter so like it was like exposure therapy to the fact that i i've been trying to hide a lot of my imperfections and stuff like that so i was uh, then i was like oh i'll write a book and it's going to be why i was happy why i'm happy i was fired from every job i've ever had since graduating college and i thought that's a good idea but it's not a terrible idea it is if you ever want to get a job again, because you have just marketed yourself as the guy who can't keep a job. But maybe that's to force me to not go back to corporate America, because I mean, I can't do it in terms of I love solving big problems. And so when I originally start a job, I'm usually solving some high level issues and doing some cool stuff. But then when it gets to the micromanaging day to day things that I have to repeat over and over, especially in accounting. So that's why I really hated accounting. It's all historical. No one, there's no like applause break for the end of the month when everyone did the accounting right. It's like, woohoo, <laughs> budget is balanced. All right, fantastic. Yeah. It's more like, are you guys done yet? Or, you know, there's, it's always just like either a bad thing or you did your job and that's about it. So, and especially starting out in public accounting, which is what I did, where you're an auditor. So you're going to check other people's work. So they didn't want me to be there. I didn't want to be there. I'm like, why am I here? You know, it doesn't make any sense. So, and eventually they didn't say I could stay there either way. So I didn't have to make that decision, but that's why I'm saying I was happy. I'm fired from all those jobs. I wouldn't have ever, I'm, I'm not like you in the way that I could just quit. I have to like, just keep thinking that it'll work somehow. And they would let me go and I'd go, Oh, sweet. I don't have to do this anymore. I don't have to do this stupid thing anymore that I thought I had to do. Maybe I'll try something else. But I think for me, one of the main lessons, if anybody's getting into accounting or into a job that uh, might seem like it might be boring, if you're an extrovert and you like to talk to people and then you pick a job where you talked through numbers in a spreadsheet to people, that's like the worst way to get your, your, you know, extroversion part of you filled. So I would, uh, you know, I'd be working and then I'd be going out and drinking and doing other stuff to validate the social side of things to balance out the fact that I just hated the monotony of the work. And so I think your point, a lot of people don't evaluate whether they're even like the path they chose. They just stick along with it because it's, well, they put all so much time and money and effort into it 
and and societies tell them right like 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 here's the this is the path that you're supposed to take and so you go you you go to college you get the job you find the girlfriend there so you get married then you have the kid by 30 you have this then you get the then you retire at 55 and you, like this is like this kind of particularly you know i'm kind of like a little envious to this generation that's coming up and that the, the the TikToker generation, the Gen Zs, because they're up um, opportunity for for business. And yeah, as I'm learning more about entrepreneurship, not all of them are going to be entrepreneurs, but the opportunity for them to be able to put out work. Like I have my uh, cousin's 12 year old, just like he does remixes of songs or something, and he just got to his thousand like followers on on YouTube. So now he can monetize, right? Is that he's he's, he's monetized? Like yeah, like I'm stuck at 42. I've been trying this for like a year, like on and off, and I'm like I'm a little jealous. I'm like fuckers getting farther in life than I am, right? Like he's making money on YouTube and I'm not. What the fuck, right? But at the same time, the fact that he has that opportunity to do it, that they can the opportunity to be a creator. I had, uh, I had a guy in Malta. He was the producer of a lot of the comedy shows there. He ended up really kind of him and this guy, Jimmy ended up started the comedy scene. And I was had, I had a bad show and I was like, Oh man, I can't be a comedian. He's like, Dave, you're not just a comedian. You're not just a chef. You're a creator. You're a creative person. Recognize that you are, you're going to do many different things. And I've always embraced that word creator of like, I get to co-create my reality, co-create the things around me. Like I co-created my little, like, I'm going to pop this on there just so you get the full aspect for when I do, oh, wow. I do this for, uh, I, I Let teach me explain for, for the listeners. So we've got yeah. a Lego set that looks to be like a talk show desk with a Conan O'Brien-esque a little minifigure uh, sitting at what I imagine would be a news desk or a talk show guest desk kind of thing. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, it's like a little desk. So I teach Cambly on, uh, as just a way to make a little extra cash, uh-huh. um, which is just an English thing. So I start off all my classes with this on there as like my little screensaver. So if, you know, Mark, uh, if Mr. Zuckerberg or anyone else is watching through my camera or the NSA, you know, uh-huh. so they, they see this first and then, and then they, uh, and then I take it off, but I always find it. It's like a fun little thing to kind of. Oh, it's awesome. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's great transition into the next thing. But before we get to which are really my final two questions and they're more forward looking, is there anything based on your historical dealings with failure or just failure in general that you want to touch on before we get to some of the more forward looking stuff? Yeah. So I think for me, like looking back at all my failures is it goes back to that of when I ever first learned about fail as a first attempt in learning. That is probably my biggest key takeaway is like, anytime I attempt to do something that's outside my comfort zone, I try to remove the outcome and look at the process. All right. The fact like, like, for example, like when going up to talk, when learning how to go talk to women, the success was going up and saying hello by putting two feet in front of me, just going hi. And even if I ran away, the fact that I got that far that was the win. I, I made my wins very, very tiny and mm-hmm. I removed expectation because expectation is just resentment and waiting. So I recognize that expect, I just would rather be pleasantly surprised by going out and trying something and falling on my face yeah. and seeing how the results kind of, I, I look at it as a laboratory experiment. I'm like, okay, I'm going to fail. And that's all right. Cause being able to fail means that I've done the hardest thing that 99% of most people don't do. And that is try. Yeah, that is taking that action and trying. 
yeah, like why did my uh, cousin's kid get to uh, get to monetization on the on YouTube? Because he went out and he tried, and mm-hmm. he found his thing, and he did something they love to do, and he found his audience. You know, he went out and he tried. He took that energy, and you know, it's not always going to succeed, but like a lot of my things, life has not actually succeeded. But I've gotten to a great place where people look at me envious, especially people back in Seattle when I when I. Do you reach out to old high school friends and everything? They're all jealous. Like, oh man, you live in Europe. You've been doing this. And when I talk to like guys I've coached for in the, in the, in coaching, they're like, oh, I'm not this. But then I'm like, yeah, but you did this. You moved here. You've done this things, these things. Like you're, you're, are you looking at your positives? Are you looking at your negatives? What did you gain from this experience? What were the, what were the lessons, right? Look at, find your lessons. uh, And that every failure is just first attempt in learning. So what did you learn? Because if you didn't learn anything, then you're going to make the same mistake over and over again. And I've been accused that I've been guilty of that. Try and like the same thing over again and expecting a different result. And yeah, I went a little crazy. I think that's insanity. It is the definition of it, according to some people. But I, I identify with it a lot because a lot of people don't like to your point, try things because of the fear of failure, not even because of the possibility and how likely it is, but just the fear of getting a no or, or getting rejected in some way. And for most people, after two, three attempts at that thing and it not going well, they tend to shy away from it, not do that thing and just go do something else they might be good at. But really, it's when you start figuring out, well, why why aren't things working? If this is something I really want to pursue, I got to figure out, you know, what's working and what isn't. And the only way to do that is by trying more things. Yeah, it's like the Michael Jordan quote. I am pretty sure you probably know it. I don't have it fully memorized. You know, the Michael Jordan where he talks about the, like, I've missed so many odd shots. I, I've lost seven championships. I've been given, like, the the the, the winning mm-hmm. thing, and I've, I've bricked it this many times, and this is why he succeeds, because he goes out there. Like, I really like that, the, the Jordan documentary that came out last year. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. I'm just seeing that work ethic of, like, you want it. You go out there and you work at it, and it's the failure just made him stronger. I think he was talking about like, he lost one of like the the rounds and he's like, okay, that dude pissed me off for something that didn't even happen, but I'm going to use that energy to go like win the next game. Like it's that kind of. Yeah. Well, it's great because he, because he doesn't view himself as the best in the world or whatever. He always knows he needs to improve. And that's where I think a lot of people either because of their mindset around it being like intelligence is a fixed level and you can't improve upon your intelligence or you can't learn certain things stops a lot of people from, from trying. And even what you're saying now, calling yourself a creator or being creative as like a label. I also resisted a long time that label because my, the profession I chose isn't very creative. And also just, it seems like it's something you have to earn, but if you're, if you paint a painting, you are an artist you might be a beginner artist or whatever, but you are an artist. You are a creator. You are creative. And uh, and that's a, a label a lot of times people will be hesitant to take on because they think that it's more braggy or anything than it, when it really is just saying, well, you're doing something that is outside of the normal track. And so in order to do that and be creative with it, you've got to get comfortable with failure because the path less taken is the one that also you don't know what's going to be down that road and so i think it's it's important like you're saying with the comfort zone and stuff i i'm pretty sure i stole it because now i was looking it up yesterday to see if i could find anybody who was talking about it but i say to use fear as fuel which is like 
if I'm feeling fear, I should be going in that direction because I'm going outside my comfort zone. Obviously, that doesn't apply to all fear. You know, there's some things you shouldn't go towards, like a burning yeah. building or whatever, if there's no good reason. <laughs> but, you know. You're not going there to save someone's life. Like, I, yeah, like I've heard fear broken down in two kind of ways. This is mostly in kind of recovery terms, but like it's either fuck everything and run or face everything and rise like it's uh or recover like so it's like that's the fight or flight basically right and you grew up with the fight or flight or cry it sounded like right yeah (laughs) fight fight or freeze and cry and then manipulate your way into what you want to get done like it was it was a tactic that serves 12 year old me really well and now like the the 30 the 38 year old me is like kind of beating himself up of like because like sitting down to write a book was a really difficult process um Cause I hate like, like the physical of writing out words or typing and spelling, just like it brings up all these feelings. So I hacked it. Right. So I have a dictation app that I use on my phone and that, and a transcriber. So it just transcribes it out. I hired my girlfriend's brother to do the, I talked and he typed it out for me kind of thing. And then I'll send, I've sent that off to uh, an editor to go through and make sure that it all sounds correct. And the flow comes out there, Um, you know, and it's, you know, but I'll write out my own jokes. Like what I did when I really got into comedy, um, which goes into your last kind of, I know that we'll, we'll segue right into the kind of like the last few bits there. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, of course. Was that, was that, that guy, Paul, who was like, yeah, you're a creator. It was like, I sat down, I started to write out the jokes and, you know, put the effort and the energy into it. And I saw the results. It's how much energy are you putting into it? And where are you putting that energy into? Are you putting it into the, I can't do it. So are you putting it into the, I can do's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I love what you're saying about, cause I, I mention it frequently about lowered expectations. Cause I, for me, if I expect something, it's like, I already have it in my hand. And then, even though I didn't, and then when I don't get it, it comes out of my hand and it goes back into the world. It's n- I never had it, but I'm pissed now because I thought I had the thing. And if I can just convince myself, well, you never actually had that it's way easier to get over it and go, you know, go forward with it. But too many times I was like living in the, the future state where I had the thing. And so even if it went well, but it didn't go like I had expected, you know, I'd still be beating myself up for it. So I think lowering expectations is a huge way to, uh, to improve your ability to experience failure and not feel like it's a permanent judgment on you. So like you said, that's a great segue into final two questions. The first one is uh, being a guest similar to that Lego diorama is what I'm going to call it that you held up. I would be handing you a physical card similar to the monopoly card uh get out of jail free but it's a get out of fail free card and uh, you can use this for any kind of a career hobby passion something that you wanted to succeed at or haven't yet tried to succeed at but you've avoided because of the um maybe large possibility of failure or the fact that you think you'd have to deal with so much failure in it is there anything you would use that card for if you were able to pursue it um, and not fail yeah, so I know we talked about this before, but I'm actually changing my answer as it comes up to my head. I was hoping you'd do that. Yes. Yeah, uh, it's skateboarding. So I actually got a got a skateboard, and it's this thing that I that I have. I can like I don't ollie yet, but it's it, like the the fear of failure at it because it's one of these things of when I see like little kids going out there nailing these tricks and anything else, 
but it's so difficult. Like, no, one, I don't like when you look at like Tony, I used to play the Tony Hawk game. So mm-hmm. you're like, yeah. oh, man, you're like I, I had like the Wii Tony Hawk one. So you had like the board there. So I thought I was like, thought I was cool on the thing. But yep. when you get into actual skateboarding, like, like, hey, I'm a little bit older too. So I'm a little bit more worried about my bones breaking. Um, exactly. Yep. But it's, but it's that thing of where it's like, there, here's the thing that takes ultimate, like, the ultimate kind of test of like failure of going on, doing again, learning how to move that foot. So you get up to do the Ollie correctly, to go over the thing, to, to go up the ramp. And we've gone out, um, my girlfriend got like roller skates. So there's actually a skate park, not too far from us. And we'll go out and we'll practice. And the beautiful thing is, right. We're like old fogies there. And it's all like these 12, 13 year olds, but they'll help you. Right. They're like, Oh yeah, no, I, I fall all the time. Oh, that's yeah. grand. Sure. Try this. Oh, hey, if you move your foot this way, it'll help you. And it's like this kind of thing of like, I'm just like, damn, I'm so impressed. And hmm. like, and they're learning the skill about learning how to fail, like falling down, getting back up and getting back on the board and doing it. And it's just, yeah, skateboarding. And pain being built into the process. That sucks. Like physical pain. Yeah. I'm I'm a huge uh, bitch when it comes to physical pain. So it's like, I don't want to be doing something that's going to involve me constantly uh having to come to terms with that but i so i i probably have only gone through the played tony hawk and that's about as far as i took it but i got really into that uh, you know for a while okay and since so the last question before we get to where people can find you or how to connect uh what is your next big failure what's the next thing you're going to fail at and not necessarily on purpose oh totally podcasting oh yeah 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 but to- yeah yeah totally i'm gonna totally fail at podcasting and so you're doing it now i mean not failing but you're you're doing the thing that you're uh that you're thinking will be uh the, m- the more difficult thing in the future right now yeah that and also just going out and like uh and being an adhd coach and putting myself out there and telling the story like because there's some vulnerability that like comes from kind of putting yourself out there in that particular way because other times when I've been on stage or been a speaker at events or any other kind of thing like that, I can put on a persona. I can put on, I can put on the mask mm-hmm. of the entertainer. I can put on the mask and, and, and just dress it up and, and create something around it. But in order for me to really kind of, I know to touch the lives and to kind of fulfill my life purpose and mission mm-hmm. of wanting to help men means that I have to take off that mask. That means that I have to, I, that, if I'm going to advocate for vulnerability, honesty, and authenticity, I have to be the example. Um, the, the leadership, the, the way I learned leadership and, and uh, what I think, once again, going back to kind of the masculinity of being a man is being like, so at this wedding, we're at a wedding this weekend. I was the first one out on the dance floor. First off, I love to dance. Um, I just I, like, I feel the groove. I do salsa, bachata, like I'm out mm-hmm. there and all eyes are on me. Napoleon Dynamite style. Where he's just dancing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I am just like, I, it's just me and the music and I am feeling it and I will do my thing. And, mm, and you know what? You feel that pressure on you. But you know what? I use that now. It's like, I'm putting myself out there and I look around and I can see like all the women are like envious of like, oh man, I want to be like, everyone's like, envious. Like, I wish I could do that. And then, you know, slowly one person comes out, then another, then another. Mm-hmm. You know, if I want to like be an advocate for men, I need to start with myself because it started the buck start that starts with me. You know, if I want to advocate for honesty, openness, willingness, maturity, assertive, nurturing, if that's what I believe, 
I need to make sure that I'm doing it in the daily basis, not just on what I put on online, but on the behind closed doors when I'm yeah. by myself. Am I fulfilling those things? Because when no one else sees it, it's the time when you're truly tested of whether or not where your values and beliefs really come in. Because I can say all kinds of things and I can put on the mask, but we are very good mask bullshit detectors. People can pick up bullshit pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. It's when you, but when you come out with them, like I did with the judge uh, going through my alcoholism and getting out of, and I got out of everything. I never got, uh, after the arrest, all the charges got dropped, everything got released. Um, so nothing's on my record mm -hmm. yet because I was open, vulnerable, and honest. Uh, that's what like allowed me to succeed. Allowed me to that failure to work is that like, all right, by owning up to it, being honest, open, and willing to try something, it got me to where I'm at. And I don't know where I'm going to end up. And I've like taken that idea of where I used to say I'm an international traveling chef cooking my way around the world in 10 years. I've removed that now because that's not where I'm going to be anymore. I've had to remove that a little bit and change it of like, I'm on a path yeah. and that journey will end up to where it ends up. And it's brought me to this amazing podcast. It's brought me to this amazing, to have this conversation, to be in this moment that I'm truly grateful for. Cause this is, means I get to start this thing off and find find it, you know? Yeah. Well, so a couple things on that. First of all, love the ADHD thing. Cause since I've joined a lot of those clubhouse groups, uh, a few in particular, I did not know just how prevalent a lot of my issues were in the community as well, because we don't have support groups really where like a bunch of ADHD people meet up like AA and talk about their ADHD. But we really need more things like that. So that's why the clubhouse group is a great way, you know, to get introductions into how other people are thinking. Cause especially something that can be like a blood test that says, Hey, yep, you got ADHD. You can always be in denial of whether or not you even have the thing. So to hear other people go through the same struggles and you're like, okay, this is now making it more real than the 19 questionnaire thing that I filled out, whatever. 16 years ago and then i've been since using as my rubric for whether i have it or not and then what you're saying about being vulnerable and stuff i think that's kind of why partially why i started with the world's number one failure thing because i thought well first of all it's dumb it's real dumb which i love the dumbness of it because it's a bad idea from a marketing standpoint i mean like on the face of it it's very dumb but if <laughs> i mean just when people hear it, they go they don't understand it. And it took me a while to figure out even how to explain it. But I'm A, trying to all come from below people so they can't think I'm talking down to them. But B, I think if I could become successful as the world's number one failure, that would be the funniest thing. I would laugh myself to death over the fact that that is somehow how I got there rather than the thing, all the things that really should have got me anywhere, declaring myself like the biggest failure. And there's not a lot of competition like for that role because the people who really are experiencing it they are dealing with some shit <laughs> that they don't have time to go market themselves as anything you know so <laughs> i'm sure there are plenty of people who ever worse i think it's brilliant i i like when, when you told me your, the name of your podcast was the failure podcast i was like dude that's that is absolutely brilliant because it is so subversive that like there's so many like how to be successful podcasts i would rather listen to the I, how to be a failure podcast <laughs> like yeah we started the zoom call i didn't have my mic hooked up or anything i had to go find a bunch of stuff uh and that's not how you do it that's not the way to do a podcast you don't go hey by the way guest 
just don't worry. I'm setting all this up right now because I don't know how to plan out my life. Uh, so it's good. It's it's nice to because whenever I mess up, it's just part of the plan. I can I can mess up as much as possible. And it's literally on brand. So I don't mind like showing a lot of that, which is which is fun, but also got me past a lot of those things of like admitting mistakes or just, you know, being more vulnerable because it's like, well, if I've already put myself in the position of being not on my high horse, you know, in the trenches, like crawling underneath you, whatever the the metaphor would be. It's being shoulder to shoulder with you on the firing line, right? Like the best chefs I've worked for, the best cooks, the best leaders that I've met and and through leadership and any kind of leadership training are the ones that lead from the front. They lead with you. They don't lead from the back and they don't, they lead because they've been there. They have empathy. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things, especially as, as men with ADHD is we're empathetic. So when we, you know, anytime when you, someone's like, like the Gordon Ramsay, oh, you're shit. It's like, you know, how does that make you feel versus, you know, I try to like, I failed at putting together a coaching program for restaurants for middle management. COVID hit. So it didn't make logical business sense to work, like work with restaurants anymore. Chefs don't have money. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, but that was one of my other areas that I wanted to work at, but it completely kind of went bust on me. But at the same time, I still believe in that path of like the best chefs I worked for were the guys that worked right beside you that knew what it took to make it, make that dish, knew how long it should take to cut the onion. Cause mm-hmm. then they'd be like, all right, you're taking too long, man. Here's a quick way of doing it and get, get you in there. Yeah. And you respected them more. It was like, you had, you, you knew where they came from. You, you had their cuts, burns and scars that they, they're with you. Yeah. It was a with and not an at. It's a very important that with an at. Yeah. When someone's with you versus someone's at you. The worst uh, CEOs and uh, executives I've worked for did the uh, swoop and poop method, which is just come in randomly and then just shit all over everything you guys are working on and then exit as if that's somehow leadership. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I don't like all these things about what you're doing and uh, I'll see you next time. Hopefully you do less of those things. It's like, what? Less of those things. I'm not going to give you any like actually strategies <laughs> yeah. of actually how to solve the issue or actually accomplish it. I don't want you to know what I would like. <laughs> you should just know better. <laughs> yeah, it's more like, here's, you should read my mind. Yeah. And so that those are the worst kind of leaders. So I love what you, what you said there about that. Where would you ideally point people to find you? Uh, two, two major places. So you can find me on Instagram at the spiritual gentleman. Um, and also my website at the spiritual gentleman.com, uh, particularly Instagram. Um, I do a daily, almost daily, uh, morning motivation, uh, positivity kind of messages that I put out there, uh, that people can see. And then another great place to find me is especially for men with ADHD, check out the ADHD men's support group on Facebook. Um, it's not my group, but I am one, I just became one of the admins there. Um, a fantastic group. There's over 5,000 members uh, of all guys supporting each other, helping them on and cheering for each other. And those, those are the, the, the big places to, to find me. Awesome. Yeah. If you can just uh, maybe afterwards, send me a link to that uh, group. I'll make sure to post it in the show notes with the other things yeah. you mentioned, but I appreciate you coming on so much we went way over so i have no idea how long this will be and when it actually comes to the world maybe it'll be a two-parter maybe not i've never done one of those <laughs> yeah i was gonna say we, we hit we hit two hours there and, and i think we could easily go for it like because we both have adhd and we're passionate about these topics yeah. we could go for another six 
easy like no <laughs> so just so you are aware uh since this is your intro to podcasting by doing it you're on the good side when we hang up this zoom call you get to wipe your hands and walk away <laughs> i don't have to do any of the editing i have to edit eight hours of, of stuff if we keep going for another six so i know if we don't stop i'm gonna have a lot more work to do um so <laughs> i'm i'm happy you came on i'm sure to, certainly happy to have you back on Again, the future, if you'd like, if you uh, end up going down the podcast host route, which it seems like you might, I'd say stick with guesting for a while because it's easier. You don't get backed up. You don't have a backlog of interviews to go through. And you can also figure out your story because you have to, usually they don't get that deep with you. So you'll be telling the same stories a bunch of times because they'll say, well, why'd you do this? Or what'd you get into it with? And so being a guest is an easy way of, of trying out a lot of things. Plus, a lot of times they'll have their own marketing around it. I don't really. So I rely on people to to promote their own things that were on my thing. But it's all an effort and like just trying to figure out how to do it the right way. So um, either way you do it, I'll sure you're, I'm sure you'll be fine. But uh, I've realized the editing part is way harder than the talking endlessly part, which I can do very easily. Which is why Clubhouse is so addicting. <laughs> yeah, and and when I do have my podcast, I'll definitely have you on, Ben. Once again, thank you so much for this opportunity. So grateful to connect with you in Clubhouse. I love that app for the fact it's been a great like community space of finding a lot of cool, interesting human beings, being able to just connect with people. And through it seems so simple through just a voice kind of through a voice chat, but it's being able to allow connections that has definitely propelled in my business, but also personal life, a feeling that I can connect with people. And it's been great to get to know you through that, through being able to be on this podcast as well. Yeah. Um, it, I, I know you're going to succeed at failing so well. It's going to be like, I am so grateful to be a part of this. It's the one thing I'm good at. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey. well, yeah, I appreciate you coming on and being vulnerable. And yeah, I, uh, I agree. For anybody who's not used Clubhouse, if you get it, there's a lot of, you know, stuff that's not going to interest you on there. So you got to make sure you're intentional about how you use it and stuff. There's a lot of, you know, reality show type rooms, not based on reality shows, but it seems like you're in a reality show when you're, you know, in those groups. And so I'd say if you're going to, if you're going to check it out, definitely um, find someone who's already using it, see how they use it, let them, you know, guide you through it. But yes, a hundred percent chance that this would not have happened if it weren't for clubhouse, me and you would not have this and whoever's listening in the future would not have listened to it. So it's, it's, uh, it's very fortunate that we met that way. I'm glad to be your first podcast experience. Cause I imagine it's you pop my cherry, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Pod your pod cherry. Um, <laughs> right. Whatever. There's a joke there. I'm sure you, you can come up with a good one, but I appreciate you for uh, being vulnerable, taking the time and also, um, just sharing your story because a lot more people need to hear these kind of things. And, uh, like you said, social media being our highlight reel messes up with a lot of people's expectations of how their own life should, should look. And the more we say that, you know, none of us really know what we're doing and we're all just kind of winging it. Uh, the more people will go, Oh yeah, I am. And we are. <laughs> and so that's really, you know, one of the more important things I think is just realize not nah, nobody has all the answers. And if you think you have all the answers, you don't. So just, I don't know. Don't think that. <laughs> Because you're you're probably wrong, but that's me saying something that you know. I'm also making a statement there, so I'm happy to be wrong as well. If someone knows everything, exactly, reach out to me because I want to learn from you. <laughs> it, it, it goes into that. The, yeah, 
Exactly. It goes back to the how, right? About being honest, open, and willing. Being honest that I could be possibly wrong, open that yeah. I'm wrong, and willing that I probably am. And to face up to it and learn from it. So I, I love that that's the structure you put forward. But thanks again. And uh, I'll make sure to give you all the nice links and everything so you can share it to your uh, crew once it's ready. But um, very happy to have you on. And I, uh, I wish you success and failure in all of your podcasts to come. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ben. Great. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over 5 hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of 6 best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training.